Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. So how did you spend Christmas Day? Did you spend it with family and friends, or were you like me and Bill Crystal at the local Cineplex watching the uh, interview? Bill, I assume that's where you were yesterday, yes? Uh, it wasn't, but I gather you were there, so how was it? Tell us about it. It was uh, funny. It's it's funnier than Anchorman. It's not you know as funny as Hangover or Animal House, but it's much better than I was led to believe. And uh, it also, the danger is still there because it worked, Bill, and I think it's going to be one of the big stories of 2014, the willingness of media companies to cave to threats and fear and change their conversation. That's a very dangerous standard for us to go into 2015 with. It is. On the other hand, I suppose the pressure from citizens and social media and stuff did cause kind of a reversal there, which maybe shows something healthy about the country, that people were so appalled that the North Koreans could tell us which movie to see or not, that they actually did did uh, reverse themselves. Was it was it crowded? Was it a, a packed, sold out? It was uh, right. people packed, and it was very not a Seth Rogen. I, I, as I mentioned to my listeners, my radio show, Bill, the uh, there was no scent of uh, smokable oregano in the air, <laughs> which is unusual for a Seth Rogen movie. And it was it was good to hear. I mean, people were saying before the movie started, you know, to each other, not loud. I'm here to support this. I've never seen this guy's movies. I don't even care about this movie. I'm here because it's the place to be. And that spirit is alive in Americans, Bill. The question is, is it alive in our institutions among the elites who govern us in business and in government? You know, that is, in a way, the big question that struck me here at the end of 2014, the, the decadence of the elites, not just the Obama administration, conservatives like like me, you know, have plenty to criticize there, obviously, <laughs> but and there's more seems to be more every day and every week. But you look at the universities, you look at the mainstream media, and the, the, the collapse of nerve, of will, of courage, and obviously of good sense and judgment, too, uh, they're more upset about a, quote, microaggression where someone was slightly mean to someone else than about a huge, you know, denial of free speech and uh, by a foreign power in this country. But so they're pretty corrupt, I think. And that's really worrisome going forward. Well, let me interrupt the you. The public, because on the I other wanna... hand, seems surprisingly willing to rebel against them. So that's good. Yeah. And, and to me, there are two stories 2014 that highlight the bookends of that. One is the uh, conversation about police, police tactics and obviously Ferguson and Statline, et cetera, where the elites have gone, they immediately ran to the the cops are bad side of the aisle. They immediately embraced Al Sharpton, which is why they looked so awful to average Americans when two police officers were executed in New York. No, I think that's right. And, you know, you've been the proponent of criminal justice reform from a sort of libertarian conservative point of view. I've been probably a little more skeptical, but that's a good debate to have. And there are real issues there, real public policy issues, totally swamped now by the fact that everyone's lost confidence in the elite's good faith and even discussing these issues. It just turns out they want to blame the cops for, for, for anything. And they're willing to just, as you say, embrace someone like Al Sharpton. And so now I think people like me, I think most Americans actually just rally to the to the police and against this kind of assault. I agree. And then on the other end of that from the elites, you have the Ebola issue uh, where, yet again, we have another news story this week of mishandling Ebola samples by the CDC. They mishandled anthrax earlier this year. They mishandled the avian fuel earlier this year. They completely mishandled the lead up to the uh, Ebola mess. Uh, and, you know, fortunately, we have such a strong health care system and we're such a relatively healthy population that, it, you know, we haven't had a devastating outbreak but I think average people looked at these guys, Bill, and they thought to themselves, well, they're scientists and they're in the government. They got to know what they're doing, right? And instead, what we got was that scene from Men in Black where Rip Torn says, you are what we've come to expect from years of government training. No, no not much at all. 
No, it's really true, and it's really been the story since the financial crisis, and and, if, and to be fair, since I think some aspects of the Iraq War as well, where where elites thought they were knew what they were doing, and uh, one had confidence in them, and and mostly in the government, but not just in the government, Wall Street as well. Look at the universities, and I think there's a huge loss of faith in elites that can lead in to people, you know, to go in kind of slightly crazy ways politically. I think it's been healthy in the U.S. It's actually been kind of a healthy reaction, a desire to get back to citizen government, self-government, get power away from government. I was talking to someone about this yesterday. That was interesting. The last what four presidents, I guess, have all been Ivy League, mm-hmm. uh, very much. I mean, Bush was different. Obviously, the Bushes were different from Clinton and Obama. They're more conservative and, and therefore had a certain distrust of the IVs in which they had Ivy League colleges and universities to which they had gone. But even so, there was a there was a kind of elitism there. And you think of the presidents before that, with the exception of Kennedy, I think this is right, from 1948 to 1988, 40 years, and not bad years for America in many ways, you know, when you think about it. Presidents came from uh, non-famous colleges, modest upbringings, mostly modest backgrounds, kind of fought their way up, had setbacks, kind of life experience there that I don't know that people, our recent presidents, have had. And it does, for me, going forward, kind of, it's a little bit of a dividing line, actually, in the 2016 field. Um, You know, do you want someone who's really has a sense of what, uh, of the limitations of, you know, maybe they've read Hayek and they got this understanding of the limitations of planning and foreknowledge. Maybe they just got it from living a life in, in the real world. But too many of our political leaders haven't lived much of a life in the real world. Uh, the uh, as the year rolled out, a lot of uh, problems for President Obama, both you know foreign policy fiasco after fiasco. Uh, here at home, he was soundly thumped in an election, and people were speculating. You know, November tenth, Bill, the Obama presidency is essentially over. He's just got kind of two years of maintenance and 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 rearguard fighting. He didn't get that message. He's he's announced he's going to do everything Congress lets him get away with and then some. Where is President Obama today versus where he was a year ago, in your opinion? You know, I think he's weaker because he did lose the election. But on the other hand, he's sort of liberated. He doesn't feel he has to. He doesn't apparently care about helping Democrats uh, retake the Congress. Doesn't seem to care much, frankly, about having a Democratic successor. I think his attitude is very much, I'm going to do everything I can do to fulfill the agenda I want to fulfill uh, in the next two years, I, I want my eight years to include closing Gitmo and getting us out of Afghanistan and, and doing uh, unilaterally, you know, doing an amnesty for illegal immigrants, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, in a way, I got to admire sort of the stubbornness and the um, resolve he has. It's not very democratic in many ways. I don't think it's very good for his party uh, in many ways. I don't think it's good for the country because it's just not a good agenda. And it's, it, it is kind of classic Obama, too. It's about him. You know, I have these eight years. I want to get this done. It's not sort of educating people, right. bringing people around, around, laying a groundwork for a longer-term agenda. So I think it ultimately it's very limited in the effects he's going to have, but it can do some damage. Particularly if the Republicans' default position is if we do anything that upsets someone, we lose. So whatever you do, don't fight, which is a problem when you're at a fight. To be the guy in the ring who says, whatever I do, I'm not going to fight. Right, and I think you see that. I totally agree. And you see that in the reaction of a lot of Republicans to Obama, which is not, okay, you're going to do that. We're going to fight back with A, B, and C, and we're going to go to the public and really have the grounds to totally repudiate what you've done in 2017. No, the Republican objection is kind of whining and complaining that, gee, you lost the election. How can you be doing this? And I don't think that either goes over very well or shows a very good attitude on the part of Republicans and conservatives. But some conservatives want to fight. Some conservatives want to, uh, you know, reshape the country in the future. And I think that's, I think they'll, they'll 
hopefully they'll prevail in the internal fights in the Republican Party. I think they need to fight smarter. And uh, as you know, it hurts me, Bill, to say anything nice about you to you. But uh, you've made some great points about specific parts, for example, of Obamacare, that the Republicans could go straight to specific tax reforms. Republicans could go straight to. The question is, is there a leader who can get the team together to execute those plays? I think there are a bunch of possible leaders, including some of the new congressmen and senators who are impressive and some of the presidential candidates who could pick up these issues. But there won't be one leader. The actual congressional leadership is cautious and corporatist, I would say. So mm-hmm. I don't have great hopes for them. I don't think they're terrible. I just don't think they're going to be you know, really laying out a future-oriented uh, agenda for the, right. for the party. So I think we need a lot of leaders, you know, and we believe in competition. We conservatives so let them compete to be leaders on different issues. Which is kind of the message of the latest post you have at the Weekly Standard. You're hoping for a lot of Republican candidates. Don't you know uh, for 2016, Bill, it's already done? It's going to be Jeb, period. It's already been decided, and all you little voters need to just go home and do what you're told. Yeah, I know, and that's worked so well in the past. The, <laughs> what? Uh, yeah. Hey, it gave I us think... Dole, it gave right. us McCain, it gave us Mitt, gave us right. W, who lost the popular vote to Al Gore, of all people. Yeah, no, look, I'm, I'm for competition, and I do honestly believe if you think you can lead the country and should lead the country, if you think you're better than the others who are presenting themselves, this is the year to run. I mean, this idea that you'll think about it, stay, you know, right. calculate four to eight years out, it's an incredibly important election future of the Supreme Court, future of our foreign policy, Obamacare. I think of all the things that are going to be determined mm-hmm. by whether Republicans or, or Democrats win this election, and also what kind of Republicans. So I'm, I've been telling this privately, and I, I wrote this in the little editorial this week, uh, publicly, really, you should run. And you know what? You run, you lose, you lose. You know, maybe you won't even make it to the primaries because there'll be so many candidates. And, mm-hmm. But you don't know until you go out there and test the message. And I would say this. I've talked to, you have two, I'm sure, a million, lots of Republican right. voters. They're, they have a sensible attitude of, I want to see these guys. I want to see what they yep. have to say. And I don't really care that much if the if some power brokers have said, well, A, B, and C, they kind of qualify for the finals, and D, E, and F, they don't have enough experience, or they're too old, or they're too young, or they're too this or too that. I think people have a very open mind in judging these candidates, and so the candidates should put themselves forward. And so you say, and I'm going to read your list here, to John Bolton, Jeb Bush, Ben Carson, Chris Christie, Ted Cruz, Carla Fiorina, Lindsey Graham, Mike Huckabee, Bobby Jindal, John Kasich, Pete, really, Pete King, Mike Pence, (laughs) Rick Perry, Mitt Romney, Marco Rubio, Paul Ryan, Rick Santorum, Joe Starborough, Scott Walker, and Alan West. Run. Run, says Bill Crystal. Run. Yeah, I think it'll be healthy. And I think, you know, it's a good group. Uh, in 2012, maybe Republicans are hurt a little as people looked up on the stage and thought, gee, these guys aren't really that serious. And, right. But that wouldn't be the case if you look up on a stage with Rubio and Walker and Cruz and, and uh, Jindal and Christie and Jeb no Bush, Romney. for that matter. No I mean, no, what, Romney, no Romney. Please, yeah, no he's probably not going to run. But, you know, look, if he, thinks he's, if he thinks he's the right person, he should do it. I don't think he would win, but... I'm, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded about this. No, I think it's a good group, but I think it would be a nice contrast with the Democratic coronation of Hillary, too. I, you're, I think you're absolutely right. Bill Crystal. thanks for your time. We really appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure, Michael. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.